This is Mike Levitt, a co-founder of the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to the Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. The ACLC is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating industry readiness for success in value. With its competency-based framework for health value, the ACLC is working with healthcare organizations all over the country to create the workforce of tomorrow. Come join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to Value listeners, welcome to this week's bonus episode. We're actually bringing you a bonus session. This was a, a recorded peer learning webinar that was hosted by the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative, and it is really focused around the impact of housing interventions for low-income patients and how improved health outcomes can actually decrease health costs. We typically don't do this, but the topic was just so important and we wanted to share it with our listeners. So we wanted to, to give you a little bit of a bonus episode and just trying to dive into the importance of housing intervention. So why does housing and value-based care go together? Well, I think there's certainly a lot of research that shows that lack of housing security leads to increased mortality, lower life expectancy, certainly more physical traumas, crime, gun violence. There's impact on psychological well-being and depression and anxiety and suicide. And, you know, the, the data is irrefutable to show that if you don't have stable housing, you're going to have increased ED and inpatient hospital utilization. And there's just so much more that goes into this. So there's organizations that are really leading in value-based care that are providing this important intervention, and we're bringing you one of them. So Dan, I, I just think this is such an important topic, and I'm really excited to share this bonus episode with our listeners today. Eric, I completely agree. I'm so excited for this conversation today. We're featuring Rachel Krausman, VP of National Strategy and Partnerships at ProMedica, as well as Ruth Ann Norton, President and CEO of Green and Healthy Homes Initiative. You'll learn more about both of these fantastic leaders and the partnership that they've embarked upon. And I'll just mention that this is not a partnership that's exclusive to these two organizations. And this is part of the reason why it's so important for us to share it with you is this is an initiative many organizations can join in on, and we encourage you to listen intently and think about how your organization can help support healthy living for individuals who need it. Well, let's go ahead and hear from Ruth Ann and Rachel as they discuss their comprehensive housing model and the partnership that they're creating to improve care and service to low-income families and marginalized communities. They are joining us this week in a special bonus episode of the Race to Value. Hello, welcome to today's peer learning session from the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. Joining us today, we have Ruth Ann Norton, President and CEO of Green and Healthy Homes Initiative, and Rachel Krausman, National Vice President, National Strategy and Partnerships for ProMedica. We're going to be talking about investments in housing and health and equity, a partnership between ProMedica and GHHI. I'd like to introduce you to Rachel and Ruth Ann, who are going to have a brief presentation and overview of their case study. But before I do that, I wanted to tell you a little bit about the Accountable Care Learning Collaborative. We're a learning collaborative that was founded by Governor Michael Levitt and Dr. Mark McClellan about six years ago. They had the vision for how can we be a convener and create an ecosystem for peer learning and collaboration to help accelerate the industry towards value-based payment. So during this journey, we've been able to 
build a membership association that includes provider organizations and everyone that's a part of the ecosystem from insurers to regulators to associations and universities to really build a, a cohesive group to drive learning and value-based care. We've created a competency-based framework and we provide important industry intelligence and research to support industry. So I wanted to welcome you to our event. As you hear today's presentation, you could be thinking about given housing interventions that they're associated with improved health outcomes in terms of lower inpatient utilization, lower ED utilization, decreased healthcare costs. What is the optimal role for health systems in addressing housing needs for patients? So without further ado, I wanted to introduce you to Rachel and Ruth Ann, and they're gonna be able to talk about some of the amazing work that they're doing in this area. So really excited to be with you. I'm Rachel Krausman. I lead our national social determinants of health strategy at ProMedica. And I'll explain a little bit more about who ProMedica is in a moment. And with me is Ruthann. Would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. And good afternoon, everyone. I'm Ruthann Norton. I'm logging in here from our headquarters in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm the president and CEO of the Green and Healthy Homes Initiative. Uh, we were founded in 1986 as Parents Against Lead. And today we work across the nation to address the social determinants of health and racial equity through the tangible work of creating healthy housing. And so glad to be here to discuss this partnership, what I think will have an amazing impact on healthcare and housing for generations to come. Wonderful. So just to give some context for those of you who may not be very familiar with ProMedica or at least not with the extent of our system, ProMedica was founded in and is headquartered in Toledo, Ohio. We historically were a regional hospital system. We now have hospitals, a physician's group, a health plan in multiple states, as well as most recently acquired and integrated a 28-state senior care business. So we operate more than 400 facilities across the country that provide skilled nursing, and longer-term care, including memory care, and a few other services, which we refer to as senior care. With that broad system, we have about 50,000 employees who power this amazing work, and we're growing every day. I, I learned earlier today that we're expanding our health plan to a new state and to include dental benefits in several additional states. So really excited to be scaling our social determinants of health work alongside our growth as an organization. ProMedica has been involved in and really dedicated to what we now refer to as social determinants of health for a long time. Some of you may have heard of both the Healthcare Anchor Network, which is a collective of hospitals that invest in communities following an anchor strategy, as well as the Root Cause Coalition, which is a multi-sector coalition of nonprofit organizations as well as healthcare organizations and others. We co-founded that coalition alongside AARP, recognizing early on that issues related to poor diet and poor nutrition had a literal root cause uh, in other issues that people were facing and struggling with, and that it was really all of our role to address that. As a Social Determinants of Health Institute, which is the department that I am part of, we're an enterprise-wide team, which means we support all of our business units, all of our clinical divisions, as well as driving our external investments in communities across our footprint. ProMedica founded the Institute in 2019, following that long-term commitment to both screening patients for social needs and developing and implementing interventions to address those needs. One of our biggest commitments is a $50 million investment in a particular neighborhood in Toledo. We call this our eBuyed Neighborhood Promise. It is a cohesive place-based strategy that includes everything from financial coaching services, a grocery store, a park. We're in the process of building new affordable housing and continue to build that strategy out based on the voice of the residents in that community, which is close to some of our hospital campuses. We also have management over social determinants of health services and intervention on payer contracts. So this is part of our value-based care approach is to not only incorporate new models of providing clinical care, but also identifying and incorporating social services and social determinants of health interventions into those arrangements as well. 
last year, kind of following this trajectory, we launched the Promedica Impact Fund. This impact fund has a very audacious goal of raising and leveraging a billion dollars over the next several years to really fuel this national goal of scaling social determinants of health work, and most importantly, generating the evidence and pushing the policies necessary to move funding for social determinants from being philanthropic, episodic, and, and frankly, unreliable to really being systemized and part of the core of how healthcare is, is really paid for. Our broad strategy that that impact fund is fueling looks a little bit like this. So we have a lot of different assets that we deploy at all levels of communities, which includes philanthropic funding, so grant making to organizations, but also we provide consulting and advisory services, not only to other healthcare institutions, but also municipalities and nonprofit organizations to implement some of this work. And then we're also working at the systems level, both in terms of taking on risk so that we can test and prove new models of paying for or financing this work, but also leveraging our positioning and our staff to really push for public policy change at the federal, state, and local level. So this is just a snapshot of what we as an institute do and are doing. And where the really exciting partnership with Green and Healthy Homes fits is really our first major initiative, our first major partnership under the Impact Fund. So investing in and partnering with a really wide range of organizations to essentially test the hypothesis, and we believe we will prove that an investment in healthier, safer, more energy efficient homes has a direct impact and return on investment in terms of not only health outcomes, but also care utilization and other things like financial well-being, school attendance, et cetera. So super excited to introduce everyone to the Green and Healthy Homes Initiative if you haven't heard of their work. And I'll let Ruthann talk through the amazing history that they have across the country. Hello again, everybody. And as I said, GHHI, which was founded in 1986 by nine parents whose children were poisoned and in the intensive care unit at Johns Hopkins, knew that there could be a better way of addressing both the health of their children and families and housing condition in America. And on that premise of breaking the link between unhealthy families and unhealthy housing, we were founded. So over the years, we have led some of the nation's best work on reducing lead poisoning and setting policies and practices to have one of the best public health stories and still one of the greatest challenges to our country in lead, uh, in water, soil, but predominantly from paint. In Baltimore, we led the uh, revolution to move Baltimore from the number one city in America on a per capita basis for poisoning and reduce that by 99%, yielding back $44.5 billion in economic benefits during that 12-year period. But what we started to understand through that work is that we had to look more holistically at housing as part of health and part of healthcare and understand the value that it brought to families in long-term outcomes and equity but also what value did it bring to healthcare? So we started to look at things like reducing radiator burns, like building radiator coverage, doing integrated pest management, mold, mildew, and moisture removal, and better ventilation to reduce asthma, and looking at trip and fall injuries, especially in our intergenerational households and for our older adults. And as you can see, and added into that, the impact of energy efficiency, weatherization, not only on the economic outcomes, but on the stability and health outcomes of families. And there really are phenomenal results in that, that some of the data that you're seeing are coming from outside vetted sources, uh, including Healthy Homes technical studies done with and for the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And while we care deeply about eradicating lead and reducing asthma and preventing injury, what we're really looking at are the outcomes that you can see some of here, which are improving school attendance, improving work attendance, and how we're building the future for generational wealth transfer 
and generational wealth building for uh, low income communities, especially black and brown communities. How do we define savings in healthcare and reinvest savings to improve the housing condition and our moral compass on housing condition and outcomes in the United States? And I would say, I don't may talk about this more, but a great example is where we've been able to move Medicaid policy in the state of New York, where they now mandate the investment in community-based service providers that improve health, or in the state of California, who has adopted one of our proposals to accept the in lieu of pathway in Medicaid to reimburse for asthma reduction. But some of the other examples uh, include hospital community benefit funds. Our most recent transaction on that was with Lancaster General Hospital, who has invested $50 million into Lancaster County to eradicate lead because they are deeming that the best use of their hospital community benefit investment is really improving the long-term arc of the pathways of opportunity for children. But this also includes utilizing unused administrative dollars out of CHIP that states leave on the table often to invest in lead, healthy housing, energy efficiency, and engaging with various healthcare entities around the country and state governments, which is, leads us to great excitement to work with ProMedica, who we really just have determined walks the walk in thinking upstream, thinking about social determinants, thinking about equity and long-term health. So what I always say is what keeps us up at night is the 30 million families that we know of through the American Housing Survey that wake up in conditions where their kids can't breathe through the night, probably haven't slept, have a higher rate of going to the emergency room and the hospital, which means they're less likely to be in the classroom because asthma is the number one reason kids miss school. Or the displacement that comes because of poor indoor air quality and energy and efficiency, and certainly the brain damage that comes from lead poisoning and the injuries and the potential injuries and housing conditions that cause people to move out of their houses and lose that ownership and have to move to assisted living where we can provide a better pathway for quality of life, dignity, and health. All of this adds up to more than $150 billion of avoidable costs for Medicaid and Medicare every year. And I think for healthcare practitioners, what it represents is the opportunity to do better in the wellness path, because we know that doctors don't want to keep prescribing inhalers and knowing that a kid's going back to a lousy house or that when they send an older adult home, that their risk of injury is higher and their risk of losing their home is very palpable. So we are looking to change that as an opportunity agenda. And there's a really good business case for it. Every dollar invested in lead poisoning prevention in the United States yields at least 17 to one on that investment but up to $221. And I'll remind people this study is about 20 years old. So we probably have a better return even than we think. In asthma reduction, it's up to $14 for every dollar invested. And in fall prevention, we are able to prevent billions of dollars of cost really by doing even the lowest level of grab bars and home modifications and ramps that really have proven to significantly reduce rates and have up to a $20,000 per patient return. And energy efficiency and climate and decarbonization of residential housing is an enormous health opportunity. We know the impact it has on asthma, but also on cardiac health, on injury, and other factors that keep the structure of a house in better condition. And I think it's gonna be part of the health investment pathway of moving forward. So the evidence is there. And together, what we've joined with ProBetica to do is to aim to raise $100 million in healthy homes funding in seven cities. Rachel, chime in whenever here on this, but these seven cities represent some of the highest impact on health, negative health outcomes 
in occupied housing. And occupied housing for low-income individuals is a real opportunity for improvement. But in that 100 million, we will impact over 28,000 people, uh, improve 1,000 homes, create a large number of new jobs as part of the Justice 40 initiative in the United States, and return over $545 million in economic benefits to these cities and states. And what we would otherwise be paying out, we can be reinvesting in the future of the clients and patients and our neighbors and friends and communities. And in doing it, it's probably the most transformational and tangible work that we can do to advance not only health and social determinants of health, but actually racial equity and lowering disparities and creating opportunity. So as everyone can see, we uh, pretty much are locked at the hip. We've been working really hard on this project for a while now and are excited to get it off the ground. So this is a simplified version of what the roles of this project look like. So ProMedica is really taking the lead on figuring out how to raise that $100 million. That includes seed funding invested by ProMedica out of our fund in addition to uh, this will be combined with other leveraged dollars that are available through various public funding sources and other existing funding sources. We're also working closely with the JJGI, but also the healthcare organizations in each of those cities, both payers and providers, not only to identify individuals who may be at risk or could use these services, but also to conduct that analysis on the back end that's really necessary to prove out the model. They're really looking at a, a multi-partner strategy. This is not meant to be exclusive, um, and it mostly has nothing to do with our own patients either because we don't serve a full population in these communities. We've engaged, as you can see, Green and Healthy Homes Initiative as the subject matter expert and really the overarching project manager, not only to coordinate all of the moving pieces, but to provide really robust and deep subject matter expertise in whatever way local agencies and organizations need to effectively implement this model, which includes providing workforce training, managing data and the evaluation piece, and looking at long-term financial sustainability for the work. And then in each community, we're engaging service providers, which are a combination of nonprofits and contractors and other trades to actually manage and complete the work necessary. This will help add capacity not only to some of the amazing nonprofits that are already doing pieces or a lot of this work in each community, uh, but will also drive new business into the contractor pool in these spaces as we also work to build up the actual workforce. It's a multi-pronged approach where referrals can come in from a variety of places, and we'll be working to invest to the extent possible in neighborhoods as a neighborhood-by-neighborhood neighborhood approach, knowing that repairing or modifying a cluster of homes in one neighborhood can have um, really maximize the impact, not only on those households, but their neighbors as well. But each community is different. So those seven cities are our priority markets, and that process may look different in each community. So. Ruthann, I'll turn it back to you to, to briefly go over the, the actual process of what the work looks like. Sure, it's, it's pretty straightforward, but important in its elements of including health education and family engagement. So families may come to us because they have a child with asthma or an older adult who has trip and fall injury risks. They could come because they have a lead issue or an energy issue, but what they will receive is a comprehensive assessment that looks holistically at resident health and making that linkage from healthcare to the home, but also the, the structural health. And it will weave together federal, state, and local funding, philanthropic funding, investment from ProMedica and others into how do we figure out the gaps in the scope of work that are not getting done and causing families instead of having home improvements that improve health done, instead getting deferred or declined. In the United States, 62% of the time that a low-income family who applies for weatherization assistance, if they have health and safety issues in the home and they are not addressed comprehensively with that application, they will be turned down and be left 
to suffer through extreme heat and extreme cold and the other exacerbation of things like lead, asthma, and injury. So we've really created a system that aligns braids and coordinates that into the education work through community health workers, nurses, and health educators that work with the risk assessors and contractors who are trained to think both from a lens of health and how to do this work comprehensively. So there are really multiple also areas of opportunity to hire from the very communities that have been impacted here, which is so critically important to long-term addressing of social determinants of health. We will be doing and are doing across the country in this work, uh, evidence-based measures that reduce asthma, reduce lead, reduce injury, improve housing stability, efficiency, and cost. And every measure will have a quality assurance testing and outcome. There are many scientific ways that we test on the work, and there will also be follow-up three, six, nine, 12 months in the first year with families, as well as continual follow-up for three years and then a closeout uh, as families have get on their feet and are able to move forward. And we're really always available to families if, if things come up as they move forward, because they have also, we found, built enormous trust in being able to be part of something that they not only have is a service, but they live in, they see, they feel, and it we find that there's a couple of other things that we don't talk about a lot. They're more likely to have better retention in their healthcare plan. They're more likely to engage in wellness activities and to think more proactively having experience, taking out the big things around them in their housing setting. So we have a lot of projected outcomes and impacts that, as I said, at the top, not only 28,000 lives changed to the better as we've really collected great data and feasibility studies and evidence of this for decades now, but we're doing this at scale that will have such an impact on state Medicaid plans and proposals, how hospital community benefits are invested, the use, as I said, of those administrative dollars that are available from CHIP and other plans. But we also are going to be improving the lives of 4,500 plus older adults, many grandparents who are a great presence in the lives of their grandchildren by reducing falls and injury, and by providing them the opportunity to hold on to a key asset in intergenerational wealth transfer of their home, and to live with dignity and health as we move forward. There'll be over 6,400 kids who will better get to the classroom, better to learn, earn, and compete for a lifetime and not have the issues of asthma and lead impeding them on the way, will be contributing to climate and to the better environment through the close to 5,000 houses that will receive weatherization and energy assistance, lowering not only the cost to the low-income heating assistance program and cost for families, but improving their comfort, quality, and health and we'll be reducing emergency room visits and hospitalizations. And we say this in pretty clear terms of what we will do, because there is significant evidence built over the years leading up to this. And I think really exciting are producing 714 new jobs in addition to other employment of contractors that we will be able to scale. So. In investment in this uh, and in the work of these seven cities will be real, will be tangible, will be provable, and will be lived by the very residents that we seek to serve. So with the other part that's that really important uh, to both ProMedica and GHHI is our impact on racial equity and living up to our commitments that almost every organization has made to reducing racial disparities and improving equity by creating more stable housing, lowering the cost of turnover. We're gonna give kids and families a better baseline from which to thrive, be able to get to work, be able to experience stability and lowering their cost. Better birth outcomes from lead and asthma, and as you may know, lead 
is a primary risk factor for stillbirths, miscarriages, and low birth weight babies. And we'll be improving that, but all the way to the classroom, improving the competition at third grade level reading and long-term graduation. Kids poisoned by lead are seven times more likely to drop out of school and six times more likely to be involved in aggressive and violent behaviors that often lead to the juvenile justice system. But we'll also be improving wealth opportunities as we talked about in jobs. Contractors who do this integrated work of weatherization and lead and health and safety together typically earn four to $8,000 on average more at the jump and, and then continue to have better skills to not only work in this program, but better equipped to compete in a marketplace and by improving the cost of housing and long-term earnings, we will have a really clear impact on equity and pathways for the future. Yeah, I was going to say last, but certainly not least, this is again, a very simplified graphic, but the evaluation and impact analysis of this project is really critical to both of our goals and particularly to this proving out of a hypothesis. As you heard Ruthann talk about, there's significant evidence to give us great confidence that this will work. But we know that the industry and the sector needs really clear, tangible numbers to base future investments on. So when we talk about wanting to shift funding from clinical care that could be avoided or reduced into more preventive services that may happen in the community, we need to really understand exactly what those things cost and exactly what the return can be estimated to be and why. So ProMedica's uh, impact analysis strategy is represented here, and this is what we do for all of our social determinants of health interventions, those that we already and have been operating for a long time in Toledo, and those that we will be investing in and launching like the Healthy Housing Project going forward. This strategy is really dependent on bringing together disparate data sets about the same individuals so that we can understand at a very granular and very clear level not only what the benefits of a program are in terms of what the beneficiary tells us, so their self-reported benefits, which are very important, but also based on what their actual medical records says about their biometric data and any health indicators and what their claims data says about what types of healthcare they are utilizing and how much that costs. So looking at those things, both prior to the intervention and then for a period of time following the intervention and again, understanding and really showing ideally that improving the health and safety of a home, even when it is not the cheapest thing that we might be able to do, still has a pretty significant return across these metrics that we care about and that can really drive long-term change. While this is our project, ProMedica's project with the Green and Healthy Homes Initiative, Ruthann and her team have led a significant number of projects, both large and small, with other healthcare organizations. So certainly any questions about the model or their experience and expertise in this beyond what we have articulated today, please feel free to ask. I am sure she is happy to share that background knowledge as well. Rachel, on that note, just to kind of add to what we've said, today we're actually, we just closed on a transaction with healthcare in the Bronx in New York City as a post-COVID measure to reduce asthma, improve indoor air quality and injury. And it is gonna be paid back entirely on savings by reducing emergency room visits and hospitalizations. So another different type of healthcare measure going out there. Bring on the questions. Well, that was such an excellent presentation, Rachel and Ruth Ann. It's been a pleasure to be able to host this conversation today. And my name is Eric Weaver. I'm the executive director of the ACLC. And most of our members are healthcare leaders in the value movement. They're in organizations. They're trying to navigate all the different merging payment models. And there's clearly irrefutable evidence that shows that the impact of housing interventions for low-income people on improved health outcomes and decreased health costs. I, I know your particular initiative is still relatively in the early stages, but I mean, there's there's such a, a profound body of knowledge around this in terms of 
improving life expectancy, mitigating physical traumas, the impact on ED and inpatient utilization, the impacts on pediatric asthma, substance abuse disorder, lowering the burden of chronic disease in our society. You mentioned, I think there was hundreds of billions of dollars of societal and economic impact. There's at, at the very least hundreds of millions of dollars in healthcare impact. And there was a health affairs article that even talked about some studies that showed that after you account for the cost of housing, you could have a $29,000 per capita savings for patients in Medicaid because of lower utilization and reduction in, in medical expenditures. So my question, is for our listeners out there, they're thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm delivering healthcare and now you're, I, I'm hearing that I have to go in and buy houses for people. And where does social determinants responsibilities begin and end with healthcare? And wh where is it the community's responsibility? And obviously this is a unique partnership, but I wanted to kind of frame this, your first question, just really around the healthcare organization and how it needs to be thinking differently through these partnerships and, and really break the, the old paradigm. So if, if you both could speak a little bit about that, I think that would be really helpful for our audience. Absolutely. I, so I'll share one perspective and, and Ruthann I'm sure has one that is probably a little bit of a Venn diagram, but we come from a couple different angles. And so from our standpoint, from the ProMedica side, we view this from a couple different sides, right? So as a hospital, we have dollars that we invest in our communities. So that is essentially a, a charitable, a philanthropic investment. We are and have been working very hard to align those investments historically that we've made to nonprofits and, and other organizations with the strategy to really be focused on things that have a direct implication for health. So really looking at shifting the dollars into those measurable impacts. And, and Ruthann has another amazing project that she can speak about that leverages those dollars. But the other piece that we are thinking about is really breaking down something this complex, something this large into its components and where those fit into a clinical workflow. So the simplest kind of version of that in our minds is the same as when you have perhaps a, a bundled payment for a hip replacement. And that bundled payment incorporates all the different pieces that are necessary to actually complete that procedure and send that individual home in a state that is most likely to be a successful recovery. Can we incorporate additional items into that procedure, that bundle, that address something slightly beyond where we're currently thinking? So that address something like installing grab bars in, in places in the home where that individual will need to be, or repairing a porch so they can actually get up into their home. Right now, that probably sounds totally out there, but we think that we can start to move the needle in that direction because ultimately we then further reduce than we currently are the likelihood that that individual is going to come back into the hospital or is going to have chronic pain because they didn't rehab the hip as well as they could have because of different implications in the home that they can't address themselves. And so I think a little bit it's about those incremental shifts of thinking a little bit differently about what has the most immediate impact on someone's health. And then as we have more and more evidence, hopefully we'll start to move the needle, particularly around Medicare and Medicaid policies in terms of what things should be incorporated if we're actually talking about funding health versus clinical care. But the big, big picture of this is that it's all built on partnerships. So we, ProMedica, are not hiring contractors and we're not going into people's homes and repairing their roofs ourselves. We're working through partners who do that. And our role as a healthcare organization is really to connect the patients that we care about with the right services and hopefully figure out ways to pay for that so that they can receive them. So that's what I would say from, from part of the hospital side, but Ruthann, I think the first thing I always want to say to healthcare is to calm the fears is that everybody's not expecting healthcare to pay for all of it. And sort of coming from the housing world is seeing healthcare as an aligned investor in the social determinants of health and the structural determinants of health really allows us to get a more complete answer on health and healthcare and housing, healthy housing as healthcare. And I think California has just demonstrated that by looking at the evidence of when you actually get to root cause 
which the NIH care guide on asthma says you need to take care of the environmental factors in the home that may be exacerbating asthma. And the Robert Wood Johnson Commission on Building a Healthy America showed us in clear data that about 40% of hospitalizations and emergency room visits come from lousy housing conditions. If you can do what are often minor, but sometimes a little bit larger investments to address ventilation or pest management in those instances, right? Or fix the leaky roof. What you change is you eliminate or reduce significantly those periodic visits to the emergency room, the hospitalizations that are occurring, the avoidable incidents of exacerbations of asthma. So California decided that that's worth up to $7,500 to do that. And that becomes significant as being a kind of a gap and a tipping point to looking holistically at health. But I don't think the housing market is depending on healthcare to be the only party in this. So what we've designed here is to say, you know, from federal, state, and local sources, we have weatherization dollars and we have lead dollars and we have asthma reduction dollars and we have home repair dollars. But often it's that very small thing that keeps us from really keeping people healthy. It could be fixing their stair tread. It could be window replacement. It could be that leaky roof. And that one piece of gap funding can really move a body of determinants of health. And, I, and so th there's that I think that's important to focus on. And the what we know on outcomes evidence is really high. But the other kind of piece of it is the ability to respond to the changes that are happening now. If you look in Rhode Island or North Carolina or, or New York, where the really those Medicaid policy uh, administrative policies are coming out are calling for those service provider relationships. So healthcare has to do a couple of things, be able to navigate who are community service providers who can actually meet the evidence-based practices, be able to do the data collection that's needed, and be able to communicate back and be relied on by healthcare. And so one of the things that we looked at is having to build that capacity of service providers to work with healthcare and be a translator. So healthcare is learning how to translate into the language to work with community service providers and community service providers are learning how to contract with and do the same. But in the end, the, what we're doing here and what's being done in other programs around the country, right, is really building the evidence for what is healthcare and how will we adjust the medical payment models in addition to impact fund investments or use of administrative dollars that may be unused otherwise, and build this into normalcy, which I think is gonna, we're gonna see a lot in the next decade. And, and a lot of it will come from this work that we're talking about today. Well, Ruth Ann, I, I think you're spot on in terms of the evolution of some of the payment models in healthcare and how that's gonna coalesce into supporting more scalable initiatives like this, addressing social determinants of health. I mean, we've seen Chiquita Brooks-Lashur, the administrator from CMS, Liz Fowler, head of the Innovation Center, talking about re-engineering of these payment models. And there's a focal point in this historic moment in time where there's now more than ever a focus on health equity. Unfortunately, it took a pandemic, I think, for a lot of a lot of our society to realize some of the systemic issues that we have in our society that create disparities and outcomes amongst different segments of our population. So I wanted to ask you both, just what role does an initiative like this play as a scalable solution for our society to address some of these systemic issues related to race and poverty and marginalized and minoritized communities? I think what ProMedica is doing and what many others like AmeriGroup and Molina and United all trying to take different pieces of this, right? That we're really seeing is that it's not only affecting sort of the medical payment models that Liz Fowler's talked about 
and how do we readjust to go as far upstream as we can to improve overall health for the course of someone's life. But the work that we're doing here and the work that's being done in this area is really changing how the federal and state agencies are thinking about their own role in funding. So lead poisoning has been an issue for generations that we have known has just devastating effects on a child's ability to reach their full potential over time. But we have incrementalized in policies and funding. But today, given the evidence, we're starting to see scale, not only because of infrastructure and large scale bills that are coming out, but we're starting to see the governor of New Jersey pledge to put $500 million into these efforts for lead and healthy housing because they understand that by doing so, they're going to get kids who are better to, able to learn in the classroom. Uh, they understand that they've got to, to deal with the issues of attendance. But also in efforts that are being made in Milwaukee and uh, across the country in states like Maryland, we're really seeing the opportunity to expand and extend the quality of life by investing in vulnerable kids and older adults in where they live and have significant savings in Medicaid and in the health department side, but also in the departments of housing and the environment and other and department of aging and in education and in criminal justice. All of these are interlinked. So what healthcare is playing a, ma a massive role in is not only how to better utilize healthcare dollars and reinvest savings, but is having a massive impact on other policies because it is a better, more right, a more common sense pathway that actually delivers better government. Well, I appreciate that response. And I wanted to ask you, and I think we have time maybe for a couple more know. questions. Rachel, this one might be a good one for you. We had a question in, in chat about how do you identify patients that are, are good candidates for this type of housing intervention? Obviously you have to look at conducting some kind of health risk assessment, understanding where some of those social barriers are, looking at psychosocial or behavioral data. I, I just wanted to ask, do you have some type of model to help support referrals into this type of program so you could have optimal interventions and return on investment? Yeah, that's a, a great question, Eric. And I think one that both Ruthann and I are thinking a lot about and certainly that that their team has a lot of experience with. So. On the ProMedica side, um, wherever we do have patients, we ask all of our patients every time that they see a primary care physician, a specialist, or come into the emergency department to complete a 14-domain social determinants of health screen. And we have a pretty good return rate on that. One of those questions, one of those categories is, of course, about housing, and not just whether someone has housing, but really what their housing situation looks like. How stable is it? How safe and healthy is it? People may not necessarily know that their housing is unsafe, but in a lot of cases they do. And in a lot of cases they can say, well, I have a leaky roof or I have no heat or my child is, is responding negatively to the, the mold or dust in the, the home. So that's one flag for us. Right now we use that screen to immediately refer or connect an individual to any resource we're aware of including interventions that we operate that are tied to responses on those questions. So this will become one of those. The other piece I think that is really critical is thinking about, uh, and this is where my role comes in and partnering with the healthcare organizations on the ground, is really looking at those sort of chronic utilization rates. So attacks or, or asthma issues indicates that there is something exacerbating in most cases that condition. And it's most likely in the school or the home, if not additionally the environment. So looking at, at those individuals, those families, um, and so we're thinking very, very much about children's hospitals, for example, and other practitioners in that regard. Similarly, looking at with our, our payers and, and the plans in these communities where they have members, for example, who may have multiple visits. So on the, the older adult spectrum, perhaps multiple visits to an emergency department for a trip or a fall for broken bone things like that that may indicate an unsafe household 
that there's a trip hazard or something in the home. So really thinking about what the medical data can tell us and how we can put those referral pathways in place. But we're also equally interested in ensuring that people have pathways in that don't come through healthcare as well. So coming from schools or simply self-reporting. Again, people know if they have a leaky roof, right? So opening that up. Uh, but there's definitely a lot of expertise and a lot of guidance that the GHHI team in particular can provide to our healthcare partners to figure out what to look for, what to flag, and then what the next step is from there. Eric, can I add one of the things I think that ProMedica will have a major hand in really showing here is that when we invest in improving the health of occupied housing, we're going to have a big impact on emotional and mental health well-being for vulnerable families because they won't have the trauma of fleeing lousy housing conditions or the stress that comes with that, that I think is not measured as well today. But I think we will have a body of evidence when you're doing something at this scale and looking across seven different communities, being able to look across, you know, at least half of the nation, we're going from the East Coast to the Midwest, at least on this, that we will see things at a scale that will provide that evidence in a much different way than a hundred units here and 300 units there. But having seven communities kind of work in unison around these aspects, I really think we're going to see some other benefits that we don't even know today that will come out of it. But I think that reduction of trauma, mental health and emotional health, uh, because we are going to increase housing stability here will be added to all of the information we need on per member per month kind of cost for various things and may may help inform even better policies and better practices in the future. Well, you both are leading the way. ProMedica, Green and Healthy Homes Initiative, this this unique partnership in investing in, in housing and addressing health and health equity. This is such a, an inspiration and truly uh, an exemplar for those value-minded professionals out there in the healthcare community really looking for sustainable, scalable solutions to address these important societal issues to improve population health. So I wanted to thank you both for joining us. It's been such a great privilege, and we hope we can continue the conversation at some point in the near future. We'd love to report back to our members about all the great work and the outcomes that you're, that you're getting. Definitely stay tuned and we want to wish you all a great holiday season and look forward to seeing you all again very soon.